Welcome to another episode of In the Clubhouse. I'm your host, Richard. In this episode, I talk with Al Galdi from Team 980 Radio here in Washington, D.C. We discuss what's happening with the Washington Nationals, including the signing of left-handed pitcher John Lester to a one-year contract. So, let's go into the clubhouse. Hey, Al, thanks for joining the podcast today. Yeah, great to be with you, man. Appreciate no you problem. having me on. So let's jump right into the news of the day, at least first with the Washington Nationals, uh, the John Lester signing. So it looks like um, John Lester will be joining the Nationals for a one-year, $5 million contract. Um, there are also reports that the Nationals deferred money on the Lester deal. Um, so I kind of want to hear your overall thoughts of the signings um, and, you know, where should the Nationals go uh, go from here next? Yeah, man. So my favorite part is the deferral that the Nationals on a one-year $5 million contract defer $3 million. I think that's awesome. I, th- I think that, that that is so vintage the Lerner family. It's just the best part ever. Like, forget about deferring money on a $210 million Max Scherzer contract. A $5 million John Lester contract, you have deferred money. That's just the best ever. But look, I, I think it's a one-year contract. You know, there's the old cliche in baseball. There's no such thing as a bad one-year contract. And I think that applies here. It's certainly worth taking a chance on someone like this. Um, I get where they're coming from on this. You you need inventory. You need guys who are going to be able to eat up innings. I think one of the really intriguing things about the upcoming season is because you're coming off the 60-game season, uh, how many innings are guys realistically going to be able to throw? You know, when your top innings guys from last year through, what, 60, 70 innings, whatever it is, is someone going to be able to go 180, 190, 200 innings this year? Or are you going to have to really piece this, piecemeal this together in a manner in which you've never had to previously? So you need guys who can eat up innings. Lester can do that. Uh, one great thing about him is he's been incredibly durable. So, you know, there's no real injury history with him, which is remarkable given how long he's pitched for. But I think there has to be a realistic approach to what he is. He's not what he was at his peak. He's coming off back-to-back bad seasons. His velocity has plummeted in recent years. And, you know, at this point in his career, he's probably no better than a number four in a really good staff. And hopefully that's what the Nats have. You know, it doesn't make them younger, that's for sure. And I think that's a real concern about this franchise right now. But just kind of judging the signing on its own merits, I think it's perfectly fine. And, you know, something like this, maybe he ends up being surprisingly solid and, and you end up really looking at this as a real steal. So I'm a thumbs up. On yeah, the I think a lot of people are actually. Um, are you a little bit nervous about the age of this pitching rotation? Um, Matt Wyrick from NBC Sports Washington did some research about the, the starting rotation. And he found that um, Scherzer, who's obviously 36, Strasburg 32, Corbin 31, and Lester now 37, um, anchor the rotation. Um, so he's pointed out that each, if each of them start 30 plus games, the Nats will be the first team since two, the 2004 Red Sox to have four pitchers in their 30s to make a full season's worth of starts. So that's a pretty that's an old wow. rotation. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I've got concerns. I mean, I, I've got concerns about the Nats as a whole. Like I could see them being back in that 90-win territory, I could also see last year being this flashing neon sign of this thing's on the decline, it's not going in a good direction, 
And the sooner that you really start retooling this thing, the better. Um, you know, they're an older team. Like you just said, they're relying on a lot of older arms. I think there is definitely a realistic outlook you can paint where Max Scherzer's very good this season and Steven Strasburg's very good this season and Patrick Corbin's very good this season. But, you know, Max Scherzer started to look human second half of 2019 when the injury issue started to pop up. Did hold up last year over the 12 starts, that's true. But, you know, he was not his Cy Young Max self. Like, he was Max minus last season. You know, 374 ERA, that's good for most guys. That's not Cy Young caliber. It's not what we're used to with Scherzer. Going into his age 36 season, like, he is a human being. You know, at some point, he's going to start not being a Cy Young candidate anymore. And I think it's very possible we started to see that over the last, you know, year, year and a half. You know, Strasburg... Not 2019 was all time, but he's not been a pillar of durability sure. in his career. He only makes the two starts last season. There is that lengthy injury history with him. We think he can come back just fine from this uh, surgery on the carpal tunnel neuritis in the right hand. But again, that's not a given. And, you know, he's not 24 anymore. You know, age 32 season is what he's going into. I don't think you worry so much about age with Patrick Corbin, but you know, Corbin rather quietly last year had a really bad season. Um, you know, it's hard to ignore some of the numbers that you look at with him. Nobody gave up more hits in baseball than Patrick Corbin did last year. His strikeout rate plummeted last season. So, you know, I, I think there's the concern about the age, especially with Scherzer. I, I think there's also the concern about, like, are, are you going to get outstanding production from the top of this rotation? Or are you maybe going to get decent production, but, you know, not lights out production? Uh, we know how this roster is constructed, right? Starting pitching is the foundation. Starting pitching is what makes everything work. It did not work last year. I mean, the national starting pitching as a whole last year was horrible. I don't think it's going to be horrible this year. I certainly hope it isn't. But I also don't think you can look at this the same way we looked at it for years and said, okay, that's a dominant front three in the rotation. I'm not mm -hmm. sure about that. Uh, there are real questions with this rotation. Yeah, I think the rotation is going to be really interesting to look at. Um, it also looks like uh, Washington, D.C. is becoming Chicago East Coast. Um, a lot of Chicago players coming over to the team, obviously with the Davey Martinez you know, um, influence. What are, like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm fine with that. I mean, it's kind of a theme right now. The Washington football team is becoming Panthers North and, and the Washington baseball team is Cubs East, you know, so there's something to that. I, I think with the Nats, like the the basis for the team, the crux of the team, it, it's still people like Juan Soto, you know, homegrown, Trey Turner, essentially homegrown, although I know, I mean, they traded for him before he really became a fixture at the major league level. Steven Strasburg, et cetera. You know, Max Scherzer at this point feels like a gnat. You know, he's been here for so long. Um, I, I'm fine, though. Like, if you bring in people like a Schwarber or a Lester, you know, one-year contracts, uh, lightning in a bottle, like, I, I'm, I'm fine with that. I, I think, though, there's a larger theme here to this offseason. I, I know, at least in my mind, and that is the gnats, I, I feel like they're kind of nibbling at the margins, you know? So, like, Schwarber, okay. Josh Bell, okay. John Lester, okay. Where's the move that you feel like catapults them back into that 90-95 win territory? Where's the move that really addresses some of the real issues the Nats had last year? They were a really bad defensive team last season. They have not addressed that at all so far this offseason. Their bullpen last season, again, was not a strength. They have not addressed that truly this offseason. Uh, you know, they have addressed the rotation somewhat with Lester. Okay, fine. But like the offense, right? After Soto and Turner... There really wasn't a lot happening with the offense last year. 
have they done enough to address that? I, you know, I mean, I guess if Schwarber has a great year and Bell does, okay. But I don't know that you can count on that. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see. But yeah, I mean, the Cubs, the Cubs East thing, I, I think in sports, you see it all the time, right? You go with that with which you are familiar. And, uh, you know, Davey's doing that somewhat with the Cubs thing here. But, you know, it's still Mike Rizzo's roster. And I don't think he would bring in these people if he didn't think So put on your go. GM hat for a second. And you said that, like, there's all these holes. Who would you like to see realistically coming to the Nationals? I mean, spring training is right around the corner. Um, you know, the budgets are kind of, like, very tight, obviously. Um, you know, baseball is concerned about coronavirus and getting fans in the seats again for the year. So, like, who would you realistically be like, okay, this is one of those moves that you're like, okay, I'm I'm happy with, I'm, you know, excited, I want to, you know, it will catapult me into the 90-win uh, territory. And then if it's a trade, who do you give up? Yeah, so I would not do – well, I'll put it like this. I'm not big on the trades. Uh, the Nationals farm system is not in a great place right now. Uh, it hasn't been in a great place for a few years, so I'm not really antsy to be giving up prospects of repute, prospects who I like to get anything. So I, I would really try to do this from a free agency standpoint. And I've been big on my show in advocating for this. I think the Nats should be in on mm. George Springer. And I'm a little disappointed they apparently are not, although I'm kind of holding out hope that this is maybe like a Max Scherzer deal where, you know, late in the game, Mike Rizzo comes swooping in and the Nats end up being the surprise landing spot for maybe the premier free agent in the marketplace. But I look at Springer, I think you kill two birds with this signing if you make it. A, it bolsters the middle of your lineup. And this is not a deal where you're signing, you know, a Schwarber or a Josh Bell where it's like you're hoping that, you know, he kind of gets back to what he's been. It's like, no, Springer's legit. Springer's one of the best hitters in the game. So you instantly upgrade the middle of your order and you instantly upgrade your defense. You know, it's funny to me. The Nats, you know, and Mike Rizzo's never shy about saying it, right? We're built on starting pitching. If you're built on starting pitching, you also need to be built on your defense, right? You need to be good at converting balls in play into outs. And the Nats have not been that for a really long time. Their defense is not rated well for years. They were dead last in the majors last season in defensive run saved. And I think outfield defense matters a ton. If you sign Springer, you know, you don't even have to put him in his usual spot of center field. You put George Springer, say, in right field, you keep Robles in center, and hopefully Victor has a much better defensive season this upcoming year, to say nothing of hopefully having a much better offensive season. But, you know, I think the Nats feel like he put on too much bulk going into last year. If he slims back down, I think he can get back to being that elite defensive center fielder he was in 2019. And you keep Soto in left, where he's done actually quite well and demonstrated real improvement defensively. That's a great defensive outfield. Soto, Robles, Springer. Now you're starting to cook with some gas here in terms of upgrading that defense. You know, you're stronger up the middle if Robles is back to where he was at. You're strong, really strong in a corner spot because Springer's rated really well defensively over the years. And we'll see what the Springer signing ends up being. I mean, the word right now is, you know, he's getting offers in the range, you know, like Toronto. I know John Heyman had it. Toronto offered Springer like five years, $115 million dollars. Uh, Mets are said to be more or less in that same ballpark. I know Springer's been asking for a lot more, say $175 million. But you're not talking about $300 million like you were with the Bryce Harpers and Manny Machados. You're not even talking like Anthony Rendon territory here. This is less than $200 million. Uh, it may end up being a lot less than $200 million. This is a depressed marketplace because of the pandemic. The Nats, to me, can make this signing. And uh, I'm disappointed they're not involved in this. Like I said, maybe they're planning to swoop in late. But... If they're just kind of sitting this out, I don't really get that. I don't really understand that. 
like we said, it's an older team. You need to be in win-now mode. You know, baseball to me, you're either in or you're out. And if you're out, then you need to get out. You need to tear down. And the Nats aren't doing that. So if you're going to be in, then be all in. Like, try to win another championship. Try to make it back to the postseason. Try to build a World Series caliber roster. I don't think they have that right now. I think Springer would help to um, do So that. let's just say, hypothetically, Springer comes in. Where do you put Schwarber then? Well, first of all, if there's a DH in the National League, which incredibly yeah. I still don't know, which is just mind-boggling to me that baseball still has not figured this out. I don't know if it's negotiations with the Players Association or what, but obviously if there's a DH, you can put Schwarber there. Otherwise, it's it's great depth. Um, you know, you, you're not going to play the same people mm-hmm. the whole year. Um, I, I'm very reluctant, though, to play Schwarber in the outfield. Like, he's not very good defensively, just hasn't been. Um, so yeah, I would kind of do it like that. And maybe he's not an everyday guy for you. If everybody's healthy all the time, I I do wonder if maybe you could play him some at first base, if you could maybe figure that out, if you're, you know, really itching to get him some at bats, but you know, some of that will depend on if they bring back Ryan Zimmerman or not. And, you know, is it the Josh Bell show at first or do they, you know, have some kind of platoon scenario there? But I I would kind of worry about that later, to be honest with you. I I think Springer Soto Robles would be a great outfield. Again, assuming Robles gets back. Uh, certainly defensively to what he Yeah, I think do. having Springer would be a great addition. Um, so you talked a lot about this, like Nanax being at a crossroads um, on other podcasts, on your show. Um, you know, what can Nationals fans expect for the next couple of years or the next few seasons? Yeah, it's a great question, and I don't know, and I don't think the team knows. And in some ways, it makes the Nats one of the most interesting teams in baseball because they could end up continuing to be in that 90 win realm and continue to make postseasons for years to come. Like it's not that far fetched. Juan Soto is young and great. Trey Turner is young and very good. It's not like, you know, Steven Strasburg uh, should be, um, you know, just a, a few steps away from retirement. Like he's still more than capable of being a dominant starter for years to come. I hope that ends up being the case. Patrick Corbin still more than capable of being a very good number two or number three in the rotation. You know, there's high hopes with a guy like Luis Garcia. And it feels like there's real optimism and real promise with some of these pitching prospects, which is another thing the Nats need. They need to start having their pitching prospects pan out for the Nats at the major league level. That has not happened in way too long. But with guys like Cade Cavalli and Jackson Rutledge, you know, hopefully you got some guys on the come here from a rotation standpoint who can help you. So, you know, I think it's it's very possible the Nats end up being very good for, you know, uh, m- very many more years to come. But I also look at the Nats and I do get the vibe of, say, the San Francisco Giants after they won their three World Series championships in five years where, you know, they keep trying to keep something going that's, you know, not really going anymore. And last season, you know, I, I've been a little disturbed this offseason by people, especially a decent number of people in the media, who try to write off last year to just the pandemic. And it's like, well, you know, the pandemic. And it's like, anytime you bring up, well, the Nats weren't very good last year. Yeah, yeah, the pandemic. It's like, okay, everyone was dealing with a pandemic. Like, everyone was dealing with a 60-game season. And that's not, it's not some microscopic sample size to where you're like, well, you just, you know, you write off all the results you saw. It's like, no, they were not very good. Like, they had bad pitching. They had bad defense. Their offense beyond Soto and Turner wasn't great. So, was last season kind of a sign that, you know, the decline has started? Or was last season just kind of a, you know, worst-case scenario? You know, you barely had Strasburg the whole year. You know, Juan Soto misses, what, the first 10 games due to this false positive COVID-19 test? So we'll see. I, I think this year is a huge season, though, because if this is another one of these, you know, 
if this is a season where you're like, you know, toiling around 500 or even worse, then it's time to pull the plug. And I don't know if you go hard rebuild because it's hard to say you do that when you still have Soto, but you really have to think long and hard about where you're at and keep, you know, stop trying to chase something that may no longer be there. Conversely, if the Nats have a, a, contend, a contending season, then you say, all right, you know, 2020 was just a bad year in a lot of ways, but you're back at it here. So I, I think this is such a, I mean, you use the word crossroads and I think that fits. Like this is a real kind of fork in the road kind of year. And what happens this year, uh, I think it's going to be real indicative of where this franchise is. I want to just zoom out a little bit more um, to the NL East. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I think we can all, dismiss you know obviously the, the news of the day with uh, the Mets and the GM here that's like a se- that's a separate conversation for a whole other podcast but I really want to focus on the baseball aspect of it like um you know you said also on another podcast that like the Mets are finally acting like a you know a big market team um you have the Braves that are doing really that are really well um the Phillies are kind of like a weird situation and then no, you know the was 2019 as you said the Marlins like breakout year so i just kind of wanted to get your feeling about how does it, how do the Nationals kind of fit into this conversation and then maybe bring it out a little bit more to the NL um the National League in general with like the Padres and the West now and the Central seems to be that that um lack that um team the, the division that's really week so you know kind of looking at those two divisions the east and then the west yeah so i mean i think the west is still very much the dodgers to lose but clearly the padres are doing their darndest to make it a two-team division and i I think they're doing a good job of it i I think there is real separation once you get beyond those two teams in the west i think it's dodgers padres and then everybody else i think in the east there's a lot more parity uh, I have doubts about the Marlins. I think there was a lot of overachieving in 2020 for them. Their run differential was really bad for a team that ends up making the postseason, even an expanded postseason. I, I mean, I do think Miami has some good young players, but I want to see another good season from the Marlins before I buy into, okay, they, they've arrived and their rebuild is over. Uh, I would I would kind of pump the brakes on that. Let's see. But beyond Miami, you know, Atlanta obviously has been the class of the division. The Nats are still a factor. You know, we'll see how much of a factor, but I think they're very much still to be respected. Um, you know, the Mets, like I said, like I said, they are acting finally like a big market team, and I think they're going to be much better this year. You know, the Mets are, are a team, they've had this like dark cloud above them for years, and it feels like there's a Murphy's Law in effect where anything that can go wrong does go wrong, and it's happened once again with this Jared Porter situation. I mean, you think about the Mets, the last, what, year plus, they've had to fire someone of just having hired that someone two times. Carlos Beltran as manager, now Jared Porter as, as general manager. I mean, that's incredible. If that happens to your franchise once in like a 20, 30-year period, it's a big deal. It's happened twice in like, what, a little more than 12 months or whatever it is. That's remarkable to me. But the Mets have a lot of good hitters. Um, if Noah Syndergaard comes back, that rotation is looking great again with Jacob deGrom and Carlos Carrasco. I think their bullpen is positioned to be pretty good. So I think the Mets are a factor. And I still think the Phillies are better than what we've seen the last few years. Like, to me, the Phillies, you can't dismiss them. And we know one thing about their new GM, Dave Dombrowski, is he wins, you know. And he may not leave you in a great spot moving forward, but he wins. Like, he makes moves and you end up winning with him. So, I think the East is still very much a four-team division and potentially a five-team division. We'll see what the Marlins are. But this is not the East of, you know, the Dusty Baker days with the Nats, 2016-2017, where the Nats were good those years, but 
you know, they did feast on a division that just wasn't very good at all. This is a much different division now. It's much more competitive. And it's a division that you could argue ends up producing, you know, depending on how many playoff teams we have, what, two, three playoff teams this upcoming year. So it's not easy. It's, it's not the cakewalk it was just, you know, four or five years. My ago. final question for you, um, looking forward to this season, what national player are you looking forward to getting, a, you know, an extra eye on this, this year? So I think two big ones are Robles mm. and Keyboom. Um, Victor Robles, because I think in year three, you get a good sense truly on what someone is. And that's not to say that you can't improve beyond year three, because clearly you can. But when it comes to Robles, the batter, I think this is the year for him to step up and to emerge. You know, we've kind of waited for this. First year was okay. Last year was really bad. Let's see it this year. Let's see him stay healthy. And I want to see him hit like the prospect uh, he was touted to be should hit. You know, I mean, it's, it's so fascinating, right, that Robles was the highly touted guy far more than Soto. And yet Soto has been, you know, Ted Williams 2.0. And Robles has been OK, but he's not been anywhere close to like a superstar level the way Soto has been. It's imperative that Robles gets back to what he was defensively two years ago. He was the best defensive uh, outfielder in 2019. He was far from that last year. So I first want to see him reestablish himself as an elite defensive center fielder. That There's so much value in something like that. But I want to see him get to that next level as a hitter. I believe he can. You know, I, I wouldn't be saying these things if I didn't think Robles is capable of being a much better hitter than he's been. So I'm really interested to see that this year. And then with Carter Keyboom, I mean, it's such a wild card. It's not gotten off to a good start, clearly. Uh, last year, it was so funny to me because Dave Martinez was basically telling anyone who would listen going into the season that third base was Keyboom's job. And then the season starts, and it turns out it's not really his job. And, you know, we see a ton of his Drupal Cabrera at third base. So to what extent is Keyboom the third baseman this upcoming year? And more importantly, how does he perform? Um, I don't know if it's put up or shut up yet for Keyboom, but I don't know that it's that far from that either. Uh, he's got to show more than what he's shown. I mean, he hasn't shown a lot. During his time at the major league level, if this is going to work out and he's going to end up being a really good third baseman for them, he needs to start showing something. He's, he's shown way too little at the major league level. So it's a big year for him in that regard. So I'd say those are the two guys. I mean, obviously, Soto, you're always anxious to see because he's so great. And, you know, there are others, too. But I think those are two guys. If they can have the kind of seasons I believe they're capable of having. Uh, the Nats can very much be right back to being a contender. Well, uh, thank you so much for the time. Um, I really enjoyed our conversation. Um, I feel. And this will do it for this episode of In the Clubhouse. If you like this episode, please make sure to like, review, and rate this podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. And you can follow us on all the major social media channels at The Nats Report.